About nine or ten years ago, I was overwhelmed. I had been a pastor for about two years, I guess, and I don't remember the exact circumstances, but I was in my study at church and I was doing something because I was pretty busy, and then I got a phone call um, that one of my parishioners had been taken to the hospital and it was urgent and I needed to go. And so I did. And I went out to my car, and before I started the ignition, I prayed. I guess I guess I prayed. I called out to God, and it, there were some prayers mixed in there. But I said to God, essentially, I'm working here. I am trying to do, Lord, what you have called me to do, and I don't have any more time in the day. I can't do any more. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. And maybe you have been there. If I could go back now and give that younger, less experienced pastor some advice, I would say, you know what, that's work too. It's what you're called to do. And you know that. I knew it at the time, but I needed someone to tell me. And I said, and you're not alone. God is in this. God will be there at the hospital. God will be with you in the car as you drive. And God will be back here when you come back to do the rest of your work. And I would probably add a practical note, which is that Jesus calls us to have margin in our lives because because troubles come. And so I would advise me to find some of the things that I was working on and say, you know what, I just don't have time. I can't do it. And if I do, then how will I be able to visit people in the hospital? And I would give the same advice to you because I know some of you are at the end of your rope. And there is a straw coming that will break the camel's back. And so I would advise you, be smarter than I was. Carve out some margin in your lives. But sometimes, you know, it's not a straw. Sometimes it's a ton of bricks, and it shatters our world. That's what I want to talk about today. We are beginning a new conversation for Lent Lent is this season in in our lives and the life of the church where we prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter. Lent is this time of solemn reflection and repentance. It's a chance to rethink who we are as people because most of the time we think we're pretty good people. And if we were, then we wouldn't need a Savior. So it's an opportunity for us to really reflect on who we are and, and how close we have come to who God made us to be. So it's a time of some really solemn uh, repentance, rethinking um, who we are and um, why we need a Savior. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on what Jesus did and why. And uh, because of that, it can seem like it's, it's pretty dark. As we, as we follow Jesus closer and closer, day by day, as he, as he comes to the cross that awaits him, and as we journey with him, it seems like we're coming to the end. But if I can borrow the language of Winston Churchill, it is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end. Because as bad as things seem on Good Friday, we know that Easter is just a few days later. So it is not the end. It is not the beginning of the end. It is, in fact, the, begin- the end of the beginning. That, that a whole new world is ushered in when Jesus is raised on Easter. So our Lenten journey this year will be a study in what the end of the beginning looks like. And our conversation partner, our guide for this journey, is going to be John. 
Um, you know that there are four uh, uh, biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as was the case in our previous series, uh, it's going to be the same partner this, this uh, series who will guide us on our journey. And as we saw uh, back during January and earlier in February, we saw John is an opinionated writer. He is not trying to please um, a historian or a biographer. He is trying to get people to believe. He says, he says that his purpose in writing was so that people would believe in Jesus. And he doesn't mean simply head knowledge. He doesn't see, mean you know, a, a mental assent that what, what we've read is true. He means a truth that we can, we can lean on, that we can hold in our hearts. And when things get bad, when the straw falls and breaks the camel's back, or when the ton of bricks lands and shatters our lives, that we can lean on Jesus. He wants us to have that kind of belief in Jesus. Because he says Jesus is life. He says that those who put their trust in Jesus receive eternal life. They have the power to become children of God. And he tells us the reason for that is that Jesus is light and life. He says, he, he tells us that the light came into the world. It came unto its own and its own rejected it. He tells us that when Jesus appeared to John in the wilderness, John the Baptist in the wilderness, John said, I came to testify to the light. He sees Jesus as the antidote to the darkness of the world. When John talks about darkness, he doesn't simply mean the sun went down or the candle blew out. He means a, a metaphysical darkness. He means, he means everything that is bad about this world, everything that makes this world so treacherous, so torturous. When Nicodemus comes to him, um, one night, a, a leader of the Jewish people, he tells him, judgment is not that God is going to smite the wicked people. He says, judgment is that some people actually like darkness better than light. In a couple of chapters, he's going to record how the night that Judas left supper and went out to betray Jesus, the very next line says, Judas went out. And the next line is, and it was night. That the darkness has fallen completely and utterly. For John, darkness is not simply, it's not very bright outside. It's not what we're used to here in Alaska. For John, darkness is everything that makes this world so painful. For John, darkness is why there are school shootings in Florida and all the other places we have seen. For John, darkness is why people get cancer and why it recurs. For John, darkness is why there are drunk drivers. For John, the darkness is why there's a bully waiting at school on Monday. For John, darkness is why there's a producer in Hollywood, who has a casting couch, and everybody in the industry knows it, and no one says anything. For John, the darkness is why Lazarus got sick. See, back in chapter 10, we learned that Jesus has escaped. There's an arrest warrant out for Jesus. He is being sought by the authorities, but Jesus escapes, 
and he crosses a jurisdictional line. He gets out of Judea, and within the larger Roman province uh, of of uh, what would later they would re- later rename Palestine, um, it was it was called a part of Syria at that point. And he crosses a jurisdictional line. He gets out of Judea, and so they can't touch him there. So he's safe. But then Lazarus gets sick. His dear friend Lazarus, brother to these other dear friends, Martha and Mary, he's sick. And Jesus must have had, at least in his human self, he must have had some sense of, this is too much. I'm doing what God called me to do. And now this. And he tells his disciples, he says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of God would reveal, would receive glory from this. He says the darkness is not going to win. God will ultimately win. That Jesus has a very straightforward faith. He says this situation will not end in a victory for death. God will receive glory for this. But then, he, and so he stays where he is for two days. But then, after two days, he tells the disciples, let's go back to Judea. Why did he do that? What has changed? You know, uh, I don't understand what it's like to be Jesus. I don't understand what it's like to be a man who has never sinned. Um, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't even know that, and I cannot even imagine what it is to be both fully man and fully God. I don't have any clue what it's like to think about things the way Jesus does. But I do wonder what motivates him here. Is it that he thinks the the heat has died down and it's safe to go back to Judea? Is it that he has realized that this is his time, his time has come, and now he is going to the cross that awaits him there? Or does he simply say, my friend Lazarus is sick and I need to be there with him and his sisters? I don't know what has changed, but the disciples are very much concerned that the heat has not died down. They say, They say, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus says, there are 12 hours in every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They see because they have the light of this world. Remember, Jesus is the light who has come into the world. He says, the light is with us now, but it will not stay. He says, at night there is danger of stumbling because there is no light. He says, it's important I do this thing now while I'm here, because you will need it soon when it's dark. And he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go and wake him up. And the disciples say, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better, because they thought Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then he says one of those things that no one ever embroiders on a pillow. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. My friend has a mortal illness. I love him dearly. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. See, because Jesus loves us, but Jesus is all about tough love. Jesus knows that there are things worse than pain. There are things worse than grief and sorrow. And so he says, it is important for you that you see what I do. You need this sign because the darkness is coming. And so for your sake, not for my sake, but for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. 
for now you will really believe. Come, let's go with it. Let's go to see him. So if Jesus has this hard-edged, very calculating way of dealing with the sickness, he also is strong enough to take the heat because he goes to he goes to Judea. He goes to Bethany. He comes up to the edge of town and people tell them and Martha comes out to meet him. And what does Martha do? She says what we have all said. We've said, Lord, if you were here, this would have turned out differently. That if you had been here, Jesus, you have the ability to make things turn out differently and it didn't happen. They confront him and they say, Jesus, I don't know what you're up to. I just know you weren't here when I needed you here. And Jesus doesn't defend himself. He doesn't reject that. He told his disciples that there was a reason he was glad he wasn't there. But he doesn't tell the sisters that they have said anything wrong or untrue. Because it is true. If he had been there, things would have turned out differently. So there's a there's a little lesson for us there. We can tell Jesus he has he has strong shoulders. We can we can tell Jesus I wanted you to be here and you weren't. That's okay. But then Mary comes out. She says the exact same thing Martha said. She said, "If you had been here, this would have turned out differently." And Jesus sees her weeping. It says when Jesus saw her weeping, And saw the other people wailing with her. A deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. The deeply troubled we understand. That means he's sad. The the language is a word uh, that that means he was saddened. But the anger. We go, what is he angry at? Well, there's a hint here. Because the the word originally meant to snort like a horse. And I think what Jesus says is, I know the problem here. You all think that the darkness has won. You think the darkness has claimed one more victim. And I need to give you a sign. I need to give you a sign so you will believe that the darkness will not win. And so he says, where have you put him? And they go and they think he's just going to go there and weep. The people are watching him. Jesus weeps. He's not a, he's not some Olympian God who sits up, uh, up on his tower and is never moved by the things that happen on earth. He comes to Judea. He comes to the place where he will be executed. At great cost to himself, he comes in and enters into the suffering that Mary and Martha and those who knew Lazarus are dealing with. And he suffers himself. So he tells them to roll the stone aside. And Lazarus' sister says, Lord, it's too late. It's been four days He's decomposing. There will be an odor. In the King James it says, He stinketh. Jesus says, Didn't I tell you you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looks up to heaven and He prays aloud. He says, Lord, I know you always hear me praying, but I'm glad to pray out loud now so that they can hear. He says, You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they will believe you sent me. So they will believe. Just like going to Judea, he said, I am glad for your sake that it's too late. So now you will believe. And now he says the same thing in this prayer. He says, I say this aloud 
for the sake of these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. And he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man comes out. And he says, unwrap him and let him go. Last week we looked at everyday miracles. We looked at we looked at the kind of miracles that happen all the time and maybe we just don't have mental categories to think of them as miracles. We we they happen very gradually and we take them for granted. We say, well that's technology or that's uh, modern medical science or whatever it is. We say we don't think of them as miracles. We are sometimes like the people in the story we heard last week. We are blinded and we don't see those everyday miracles. But today John is telling us about the other kind of miracle, the the capital M miracle, what he calls a sign. And this is the last great sign in John's biography of Jesus. He's told us the story of a total of seven miracles. And seven for John is this mystical number. It means It means the totality. He says, my purpose was to give you everything you needed to know about Jesus so you could believe. And he tells us over and over again in the story, he, he hammers it home. The purpose of this miracle is so you can believe. Because it's dark outside. Jesus is not present with us visibly. And it's easy when we watch the news or when we talk to the doctor to believe that the darkness will win. And so Jesus gives us this sign. He says, Lazarus, come out. Darkness does not win. I have overcome the world. You will have trouble in the world, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So, are you going to see a miracle, a capital M miracle? Well, in a way I kind of hope you don't, because as we see, they they happen in extreme circumstances. You can't bring Lazarus back from the dead until he dies. And so, I want to spare you that. If I, if it was up to me, when I go to the hospital, I pray that people be cured so they don't have to be brought back from the dead. So I would spare you the circumstances that would lead to a jaw-dropping miracle. But whether you get one or not, there's an important lesson here. The sisters go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, if you had been here, They're talking to him. He's here. And they say, but you weren't here when I wanted. We can do the same thing. Jesus continues to love Martha. Jesus continues to love Mary. He's strong enough to take it. We can say, where were you when I needed you? So we can go to Jesus with our concerns. But it's only fair to remember that Jesus does come. He doesn't come on our calendar or the way we would like, but Jesus does not leave us alone in our misery. Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us at the hospital. Jesus comes to us in the courtroom. Jesus comes to us by the side of the road. Jesus comes to us in our misery at great cost to himself because darkness will not win. So remember that. Jesus gave us another sign. Miracles are really terrible things. 
I don't think anyone wants to be in circumstances where a miracle takes place. But Jesus gave us another sign, a sign that is not as painful. He gave us the sign of the table. And so during Lent, we're going to celebrate the sign that he gave us on a weekly basis. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper as a sign of his presence. When we don't see him in the hospital, when we don't see him in the courtroom, the table is a reminder that Jesus is with us. Jesus comes into our suffering. He weeps with us. He is affected as any other person would be. So, Scripture tells us that they will come from east and west and north and south and sit at table, at the table in the kingdom of God, at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Luke tells us that when the risen Lord Jesus was at table with his disciples, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The table is meant to be a place where we recognize Jesus at work in our lives, bringing grace and wholeness into this world. So I invite you to participate. Who, who can participate? Jesus tells us that those who trust him are welcome to this table. It is not my table. It is not the church's table. It's not our denomination's table. It is the Lord's table. And it is his will that those who want him would find him here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the sign of Jesus, uh, the sign that Jesus gave to Lazarus, um, that we can learn about at a distance without the, the shock and the horror of death and pain. But Lord, we know that our world is filled with horror and pain. On the news and in our own lives, we see and suffer. And so Lord, we, we pray that at this table today, you would remind us that you are with us, that Jesus comes to us in the, in the worst of circumstances and prays for us and weeps with us. We pray it all in his name. Amen.